0: They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com/slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery, who makes sophisticated elk-free drinks that still have all the taste of a good time. G&T without the tears, whiskey without the wobbles, and other delicious cocktails too. Switching the ritual instead of ditching the ritual is so much easier. Stay in high spirits, keep a clear mind, head to mondaydistillery.com for more. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Lonely, Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm really, really excited <laughs> I've got the two time world surfing champion, absolute legend. Ash is losing his mind down there in the kitchen <laughs> <laughs> because I have the amazing Tom Carroll in um yeah. in the Zoom room today. Hey Tom, how are you? Yeah, great, Danny. Good to be here. Oh, thanks really so yeah, thanks so much for coming yeah. on. And I just <laughs> I was just down talking to Ash and he was filling me in on some of you know your amazing accomplishments in life and mm. talking about something the this the slap or the snap the snap the the
2: pipeline yeah no pipeline was yeah uh, if anyone knows anything about pipeline they know but if they don't it's a wave on the north shore of Oahu and it's one of my dreams to do really well and I eventually did it yeah so it was that's where I kind of did that particular surf move (laughs) oh my god yeah
1: Ash was was, um kind of doing it for his manager down there just sort of doing a reenactment mm. of it and just mm. saying and he was getting so excited and animated and I swear to mm. god he had tears in his eyes it's just it's like, so cool this guy's mm. a legend mm. anyway so yeah thank you um again for coming on so obviously you know we want to talk about your life through addiction mm. um which wasn't just mm. alcohol it was mm. meth as well mm. and how you've got how you got through that mm. and how life is for you now but to, mm. to kind of give the audience an idea of how it all started could you tell us how like when you first started say alcohol and drugs and how that kind of got started for you
2: okay so gosh the first time I drank alcohol is with my older brother and a, and a friend who were in the house and the our parents were out when well, my father was out I didn't have a mum by then uh, we'd lost our mother I was probably just just about to turn seven when she passed away. Mm-hmm. And this is when I was about I think I think 10, you know, when my brother goes, Oh, mm. you know, we found they found the alcohol in the they pulled it out. And I go, Oh, what do you do? let's doing what, what? Yeah, I just didn't it wasn't something I thought of doing, you know. But they just sort of, yeah, yeah, let's have a bit of this and that. You know, I thought, oh okay, I'll try it. You know, I just remember that feeling uh, of this different feeling, different um, and how awful it was. Like, i god, this stuff, like, is, I remember trying to drink my dad's beer, and they're like, this is the worst. Why are you drinking that? And then this other stuff, which was harder liquor, um, it just, it was repulsive. It was like, it was just, why are people drinking this stuff? It's like, <laughs> you know, but I guess I'll have it because you guys are having it, and you're my older brother, and, that's my mate, you know, this friend, and they were just all laughing and carrying on. And and I was sort of just wanting to join in, I guess, at 10 years of age, and wow. I didn't know really what I was doing, but I just tried it. It didn't really do much for me at that point. Um, and, uh, and then it was I remember trying to smoke dope um, when I was 12 because I, was, I went I was allowed out to uh, to like a like a dance party at the neighboring town and I was allowed to I, could, I was surprised I was allowed to go because one of my new friends at school said yeah come along to the dance and he was a little bit kind of like adventurous kind of guy and sort of perhaps kind of a little bit I just didn't notice it, but I eventually found out. But he was a little bit loose. And, but he, and I went to this dance with him, and he said, Yeah, there's a lot of girls. And I'm going, Well, it wasn't kind of interesting girls, but I didn't know. I was 12, like, <laughs> and I said, was, was like, really? Okay, I'll, I'll come along and went there. And I'm in this kind of overwhelming scene with all this music and, you know, all this full social scene. I just wasn't ready for And, and he goes, yeah, yeah, look, oh, look, guess what? We're going to go and smoke a joint, you know, I'm going, what's that? <laughs> and uh, so it was all like this, you know, and I, I went and smoked it. Nothing really happened. I went to behind and it was all kind of special we underneath a bush, you know, with these guys. And they and they said, oh, I don't watch to the smell. Cops all, if there's cops down there, they're going to smell it. I go, wow, they can smell this stuff from that far away and all that sort of I can remember it vividly because it had an impact on me. And uh, the, the actual act of it all, you know, was kind of bigger than, uh, way bigger than the effect. It didn't really, the effect didn't really happen. And so mm-hmm. at first, and, but it was just the involvement. Um, and I guess I saw it at the beginning, that's what I saw it. I saw it to be involved, you know, to be a mm-hmm. part of the situation that was going on. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, there wasn't too much, you know, parental guidance back then. You know, this was the early seventies, and down at the beach at Newport Beach on the northern beaches of Sydney, it's nothing like it is today. <laughs> it's yeah. uh, it was a beautiful place to live. I mean, I and mean, grow up it was just like what a blessing. But uh, it was a kind of a, had a kind of a much roar, of roar, kind of feel to the place and uh, and it was much more kind of working kind of class or if you like, call it a class, but there's just less money, that's for sure. And it was just a, I, uh, you know, there was just a bunch of boys just being boys um, in this budding kind of surfing community that we're all like learning how to surf and just being boys. You know, there's a bunch of boys um kind of egging each other on to do things and you know, either go into bigger surf or just do just be involved in this or that. And and there was other things going on along at the beach um it, that I saw older great, you know, very experienced surfers that I looked up to starting to get into you know hard drugs like heroin. And I watched mm. that going on mm. and, and we were just sort of like. Me and my friends, we just turn up on a Friday night. we just, yeah, we're going out, you know, just my grandmother would sort of pretty much looking after us because that was my mother's mother and my dad just worked late on a Friday night. We'd just go out whatever we wanted to do. He just She just said, oh, boys, whatever you want to do. But my older sister wasn't allowed to go out. She was five years older than me. She wasn't allowed out. And, uh, yeah. and I was just barely, yeah, 12, 12, 13, and I was out. And we started to like get older guys to buy us alcohol at the sh- at the liquor store, which was right there, and um and drink this really the cheapest drink you could get right. So this drink called Brandovino. and it was
1: oh yeah. Don't cold Chisel sing about that? I'm sure they mm. do.
2: Probably do. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Brandovino. and 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 it was kind of talk about cold chisel. Uh, that was kind of one of the bands we used to go and see at the local i was like 13 14 15 kind of sneaking in the side of places and going to watch these bands and and it was really cool like uh you know angels and all those sort of bands and um but like, um uh and so alcohol is just a regular thing this is what we did we just sort of drank and usually drank till we were really stupid like to, you know so we kind of had a real effect on board before we kind of could actually go and do this stuff by C bands or try to meet girls like 15, 16 trying to meet girls was like oh my god, it was just so freaky. You know, so I had, the funny thing is I had girlfriends at school who were really cool. but going out was a whole new whole different thing. It had a whole nother energy and so it was more like trying to get the girl. And it's like, I mean, you know, be involved close to them. And it was scary, so scary. So alcohol on board was, you know, the icebreaker. And, of course, you try to get the girl drunk. It was like it, this is how it would work. It was just messy. And I guess there was, um, you know, a little dope smoking involved. So it was and that was sort of came on when, and I found the effect of that more enticing. We'd go off and have a smoke with some friends, you know, on the weekend before going surfing or something like that. And that sort of had a whole nother kind of an escape kind of route uh, that was very enticing, and um, which was kind of engaging and it wasn't as, it didn't have that same, sometimes it made me sick. Like alcohol would make me sick, and uh, and but I, I just at that point I never thought there was any thing going wrong going wrong. It just still seemed like it was just a part of the of the scene that I was in. And um, there was one person I remember. Uh, one of my my father. We, I used to come down surf every morning before school, and we lived close enough. To the beach, probably about five hundred meters to the beach, and I used to ride my bike down. And then my dad would come down and run the beach before he would pluck us out of the ocean to take us to school. We're never allowed to have a day off school. Like twenty past seven, he was on the shore calling us in, and I was like, "Okay, we're coming in." uh I plead with him to let me have the day off school. My friends would be going, "Ah, oh, you sucker! You have to go to school," and and my other friends wouldn't have that kind of parental uh, kind of presence at the beach in the morning. They kind of sort of work their way out of school or something, and then he. Uh, then we. Then there was these other parent like men around the the surf club at Newport Surf Club, Surf Life Saving Club. We used to hang out, and um, I remember, never forget this one of my father's sort of acquaintances, older men. He just I remember seeing him once he just. He was just at the back of the surf club, and he was in a really bad way. And I remember I was looking at him, and he had, he had a bottle, bottle of methylated spirits. And I remember seeing it going,
1: Ooh.
2: "Wow, this, this guy's not good. like I uh, sensed something really up for him, you know, and, mm. and it didn't register, but I couldn't make sense of it. I going, "Why do you want to drink methylated spirits?" And it wasn't a while down the track, because it's poison. And uh, and that's what the alcohol usually tasted for for me was poison. But he'd gone to the next level, and he ended up. He was obviously um, alcoholic and in deep trouble with this disease. And um, um, anyway, that that was kind of like my kind of introduction to this, and then also the the, the addicts, uh, the heroin addicts these local guys who were really good in the ocean all of a sudden departing, stepping away from the ocean, getting into motorbikes and, and, and doing whatever they were doing with the heroin and then just all of a sudden nodding off like just like they're standing there. I just go, wow, that guy's asleep standing up as <laughs> he doing right. that mm-hmm. or he's next minute he's throwing up. And, going, oh. uh, and I go, oh, and, and then all that sort of surrounding me at the time was a, um, a lot of me. You know, as I grew up a lot of my heroes became in surfing became you know really heavily drug affected and um such as Michael Peterson, who was a one of the most brilliant surfers of our time back in the seventies and he was our hero and he ended up on the heroin as well and mm. you know, all sorts of trouble but um and that was kind of the environment in the seventies it was it was Quite a, a quite a harsh environment. Everyone thinks, oh, I really kind of love cool piece of the 70s. It was not like that uh, for me. Mm. It sounds really,
1: like you said earlier, really raw and really Very rough. Raw. And mm. it's, pro- I don't know about any other sports, but, you know, high-level athletes, you don't imagine them, you know, getting smacked out and, mm. you know, nodding off, standing up mm. or, mm. you know, really getting into drugs really that are going to mm. kind of make them, yeah, go the opposite. And yeah. it must have been really strange for you growing up as well, looking up to these people that were kind of really great at what they did, their sport, but yeah. then also that they had this other side of them that yeah. was really kind of like trash baggy, I suppose. And, and
2: it went along through the music scene too. Like, mm. you know, it was like mm. it was just very it was just a way it was a rite of passage to push yourself into or go for an exploration in this area. I guess, mm-hmm. um, try to, you know, I guess the, the classic word is kind of transcend yourself uh, somehow, shape or form, and, mm-hmm. and um, this existence. And I was, thought that I wasn't one of those people, you know, like I didn't think that I was one of the, you know, the alcoholic. I didn't think I was the drug addict or addicted at that point. I don't think that sort of. Even though there was kind of other signs, when I look back to it once I became, came into recovery many, many years later, and actually, you know, before I went through the journey of, you know, diving into it and going into that kind of, um, that blindness of addiction, and then sort of, and then all of a sudden waking up, and then all this stuff gets revealed to you through that waking, awakening kind of phase and, when I got to about 18, 19, 20, and I started doing really well with the ride, you know, I was doing the roller coaster ride of of competition and putting myself into, into this, you know, single minded, focused, uh, obsessive to be the best I can be, kind of really pushing myself in that area um, to be really good and kind of. There was no such thing as a athletic sort of surfer who was pushing it, the sport to be an athletic sport. It was just wasn't seen like that, which was great in many ways. But if you wanted to be really good at what you're doing, you can actually do things to do that. So I started training physically, which would really sharpened the knives of the of the skill and um, and application. It was really a beautiful journey and, and I've got, you know, went through the ups and downs of competition, you know, won myself the accolade, um, the ultimate accolade there, but it was, it was kind of like, oh, well, I got that. Hmm. And then there was the party scene kind of after it. And that's when I kind of tasted that feeling of kind of, oh, I'll, I'll have some of that, you know. Oh, why don't you have some of this, Tom? Yeah, I'll have some of that. Yeah. And next minute, I'm like, "Oh shit, this is pretty good." I'm feeling so good about myself.
1: Right. <laughs> and that
2: was when um, the feeling of being above the line with the cocaine was was really enticing. Wow. Yeah. Was there
1: something to do with that come down of like kind of winning the accolades and then that kind of come down mm. afterwards and mm. what's there, what's in that void? And I think that happens a lot with. Elite sports people and musicians as well. Mm. You know, they do the big show or the big tour, and then it's mm. that come down afterwards. And it's yeah. like, what the fuck? Yeah, you know, we, do, we don't.
2: We don't want to feel that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and also chasing perhaps that feeling of that that adrenaline of that perhaps that that big wave that you or what you won. You know, that competition, or you, mm. you know, musician. You know, that that big show and that adrenaline. I imagine. Mm. What was it for you? Do you think that kind of kept you going back? Mm. To that mind-altering stuff?
2: I think, you know, um, when I look back on it and was able to reflect clearly with it, you know, without anything in the way um, and I was, was open to suggestion in that area, I I uh, could see that I was, you know, highly driven to, to get recognition from something, um, to fill that, yeah, that empty void, to kind of try and fill that place which didn't get the quite the recognition that I kind of I craved from my father's very uh stoic and um beautiful man, but very shut off emotionally. He just lived that life, you know, came through Mm. the, you know, fought fought against the Japanese in the Jungle in Borneo with the Americans somehow made it back. And his father, my our, my grandfather, our grandfather, uh, he was he did three tours of the Somme and made it through Gallipoli. I don't know how he pulled that. And then so you got this kind of like, if we're made up of all this stuff, you know, and it comes through and you you like this got this amazing life and 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 you got this person who can't really kind of give you much as far as like you know I'm, a, I'm an emotional human being kid just sort of brimming with all this stuff and then you don't get that feedback and then you don't have a mother at the same time so you've got yeah. this kind of missing major missing emotional jigsaws kind of like a missing out of the puzzle
1: yeah. and so
2: you're trying to place something in there and it's all kind of in the mix underneath everything so it's sort of driving your kind of daily life and it's pretty pretty interesting (laughs) trying to fill it. It actually makes us really good at what we're doing if we're if we're focusing and it's all moving in that direction. Mm. And you kind of it's very, very uh helps you get good, helps you, you know, attain this level of expertise at what you're doing. And and you know, it happens all the time. It's this pattern. So For me, um, and then you don't see it when when you don't actually, you actually don't want to see it, but not only do you not want to see it, you don't see it, the kind of needle kind of like tip over. So if there's a needle, oh, it's all working for you, working for you, working for you, working for you. Oh, <laughs> yeah. it's not working for you now. And you're not seeing it because you're trying to somehow because, you know, you're kind of powerless over it that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, it takes a while until you're really, really powerless. But there's little messages along the way that um, they're like your conscience sort of going, oh, this is what I got once I came into recovery. It was sort of these older, more sober people who had been there kind of talk about because um, I didn't understand what the hell to do, But (laughs) because it was so baffling uh, what was going on, but there's a little conscience. You've been trying to put out that flame, that little flicker of your conscience saying, hey, Tom, maybe it's not such a good idea to do this one, you know, this time, but you just sort of rub it out. You're going to, oh, it'll be right, you know, just keep going, you know, Uh, Mm -hmm. because it feels good just for a second. Just for a second, just for Mm. that, and then it stops working, and you're still doing it. So, it's uh, and that's a really tricky place to find ourselves. And um, but, um, and yeah, so that that took a while to happen for me. By the time I'd actually finished my competitive career full time, full time, I'd already had all the kind of makings of 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 an alcoholic addict. Mind, it all. or was all sitting there, kind of ready to kind of consume me. At the time when I was most vulnerable, um, and that was when big change needed to happen after the career of uh, competitive surfing. So the
1: career sort of started to wind down, was it? And then that's when the addiction. And is... then it kind of starts to rise out up, and especially when you
2: try to be a family man or take on the responsibilities of being a father and just and and try to change things up to mm. a, a different life because you are one thing on, on even if even if it's going not so great you're still fine in competition and you're in a cert, in a set kind of structured kind of repetitive thing Uh, or or that's been supporting you, you kind of get locked into it and you get really quite attached to it and the whole scene of it. And even if you're not doing that well, you kind of have some fantasy. You're going to fantasy about it. Well, I did. (laughs) I'm pretty good with that. So going to fantasy about how I can get better and do better and I'll always come out of this hole. (laughs) But I'm doing all this stuff in the background which does not support it. You know, refining and and evolving. It's sort of, you're you're kind of going the other way into destruction mode. But there's, it's all kind of going on in the background. And um, so I'm sort of addicted to, yeah, addictions are kind of thrown around very liberally here. But um, I was just really strongly attached to the tour and then finally letting go of it. It's like another void um, appears. And so there's no structure and hard to structure in my life from there, without any planning. I didn't plan it. I didn't do this, and all of a sudden, I had a family. I had two beautiful daughters, beautiful wife. But there's all this exterior stuff going on, but inside me was tumultuous. Mm. Mm.
1: Do you think a lot of that that um, internal kind of like you were saying, that kind of internal turmoil that was happening, do you think that also would have been from undealt stuff from childhood, perhaps the grief of losing your mum and not having your mum from such an early age and, like mm. you were saying, perhaps the generational trauma that had come through from your granddad and from dad, perhaps being mm. brought up with a grandma that was just like, you know, just go off and do your own thing. You yeah. Know, did you ever deal with a lot of that stuff?
2: Mm, uh, no, I, I didn't know. Uh, there was mm. never really shown that that was the way a male would deal with things to fall apart a bit and and ask for support around this emotional, I didn't even know what what it was. And by the end of it, I mean, I had right in the middle of it too in, my, in the 80s and I lost my sister in a car accident. And like when we, that was sudden. So that itself, I remember just going deep um, into you know, like binging on cocaine and, and alcohol. So and then kind of trying to clean up and then I'd just get really intense about my competition and I wouldn't touch anything for like months. I'd be like on this sort of like intense drive. And so and this intense drive would be kind of wouldn't really include anyone else. <laughs> You know, I couldn't really include anyone else. Um, it was very, very self-centred um, but actually fed and actually was um, supported by the environment I was in.
1: Yeah, wow. Yeah. When, when you were younger, did you talk to anyone? Um, and it's, if, if you don't want to answer this, it's fine mm-hmm. as well. But well, who did you talk to about, say, so the grief of losing mum and, and what you went through as, at such a young age? Was there anyone for you to talk to at that age?
2: No one talked about it. Um, Mm,
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, I never really understood it. I was only six when I watched my mum passing away. So there's just not enough uh, grey matter on board Mm. to actually emotionally kind of complete the story. Uh, There's all this sort of like, uh, but I remember her really clearly and I remember going to hospital and visiting her every weekend and just want to go outside and play you know, and I was like that kid. But the, the, coolest, the coolest thing about um, when I came into recovery, I started sort of being open to new ideas about what's going on around me and within me. Um, and, there was, and I was open to people who's, who, who had my back and their suggestions. And, um, and one person came into my life at that this one particular time when I was um, going into that area and uh, examining it, and um, and he said, he, he kind of said, look what's happened here, Tom. I'm like, you look at what's happened. Um, kind of makes me cry because he, he, he goes, you, m- my mother, I told him the story about my mum actually giving me a surfboard the Christmas before uh, she passed away then and then a few months later and she gave me my first surfboard mm-hmm. and so that in it she goes look how love has actually supported you all the way she didn't actually leave you and so mm-hmm. she gave me that um surfboard and then surfboard still holding you. and not only is that the surfboard there is the ocean the ocean's there and i've and funnily enough um i've never had fear in the ocean. Mm-hmm. It just hasn't been a part of the story in the ocean for me, which is kind of like i've been in some crazy situations, <laughs> but uh, you know love 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 and fear they're kind of the opposite things so uh love love is just ever present uh there, and so it's always filled me up, and from that time that surfboard was passed to me by my mum, and I'll never forget that moment. That that surfboard and that drive to actually understand what the hell's going on on a surfboard. Mm. It took took this drawn, It's given me this life. And so there's nothing, and he said there's nothing in this life that's out of place, Tom. Like there's nothing. And when he said that, I, I sunk deeper into it, into this this which is all ever present. And I was a real big moment for me. I took a little while to sink in, but it really fully sank on that moment. And then it's just been consistently a kind of a journey of returning to it. And I think that helped me move towards things that are much more healthy for me. I mean, that's a part of it. This is a little small part. It was a big thing for me to understand about loss and that the idea of, me having to fill something up in order to be okay with myself in the world, kind of like, kind of like slipped out the back door, and mm-hmm. I was able to move forward just a little bit more in my life and grow emotionally. I think
1: that's the big one. So, it's, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's got me really emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, for people listening, and I know so many people experience so much loss and there's that mm. that feeling of of needing to fill up, fill up, fill up to so that we don't have to feel it. But then it's always still there, isn't it? There's always yeah. at the end of the day when it becomes yeah. dysfunctional mm. and it stops working. We have mm. to deal with the loss eventually. Mm. Yeah, because it's always
2: going to, it's just like that, you know, that game where you've got the gopher kind of keeps popping up and you hit the one over there and it keeps it, it, it needs needs to be seen for what it is and it's like and it's kind of harsh words in a way, but um, it's kind of like the universe God, whatever you like to call it, that energy is trying to get you there as quick as possible. It's going kind of go mm. go there, go there, just go there and it just it supports you. When you're open, you go, okay, okay uh, I don't know. I know nothing. <laughs> and all of a sudden it starts to support you on that. It's amazing what comes along when, when we do that. But, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I definitely had to be in the field position prior to that, though, right. to understand it, to, to yeah. be fully in the fetal position, asking for help um, because my, willing, my willpower which was developed through all those times getting, you know, strong uh, in competition and strong in uh, myself to sort of uh, get better at what I was doing, um, was absolutely necessary. But um, in that, all that, all, all that, that willpower kind of took me down
1: in the end. Was it almost a coping mechanism for you, not just the drugs and the mm. alcohol, but even that competition, that like getting to the top of your game and being mm. the best? Was mm. that all a bit of a coping strategy so that you didn't have to feel what was actually going on inside? Perhaps.
2: Mm. Yeah. That I could just get that feel in the ocean, but on land, I was, it was, I found life tricky. Mm. I was fine in the ocean. So it sort of filled me up, but I'd come in and, I found relationships, particularly with women. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean I because I didn't I had that feeling that they're all gonna they're all gonna run away from me, you're gonna die on me anyway. So that mm-hmm. that set that message was strong and I'd get really close to women that I'd really uh, you know, I was really attracted to and i just kind of wanna turn it upside down before anything had happened.
1: Before you so could get hurt.
2: That, yeah, yeah. I couldn't yeah. I couldn't. I couldn't stand the idea I just didn't yeah so that that's a that's a big one that's I wouldn't say that's just gone either that funny thing yes yeah, so a there's like a cosmic laugh in this one I have three daughters <laughs> 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 yeah here's yeah. three daughters just like I said learn quick now grow it's yeah. like okay I like, like and each, having each daughter was like, oh, fuck. there was this pain after it. I was like, I don't know what that was.
1: Yeah, wow. uh, I
2: don't know what that was. There was this, this mm-hmm. beauty in front of me. That I was just trying to, I was like, fuck. It was just deep fear. Um, and the acronym for fear, I just heard this just recently. I don't know why because I know a few of them, false evidence appearing real, which is a beauty, but fuck everything and run.
1: <laughs> fuck everything is, and run. That's what, that. I,
2: that's what I do. Like I just want to fuck everything and run. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, that responsibility is too much. But, yeah, yeah. so the, I've, I've had to step into growing uh, and it's always been amazing. And
1: feeling, it. right? I think that's part feeling. of this whole recovery Dude, journey. Yeah.
2: Feeling. Feeling, and I still struggle with crying. I Never had that really good message, a very good message from a male in my life. Crying uh, until I came into recovery. Really,
1: mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, it was not. Um, I remember asking my father, um, "In a bench seat, he came and picked me up of school. He never picked me up from school, but this is one one day because I'll never forget. Picked Nick and I, my older brother." uh and josephine my older sister from school and we're driving up from newport primary school up beaconsfield street goes up to the baron road i'll never forget it and i'm in the front i don't know how i got the front seat it was very rare that i had the front seat i'm in the front seat with my dad i'm looking over at my dad and i just had to ask him because i just cried a lot when i was a kid and i just couldn't do it i just in the in the playground and da, 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 da I go, why am I crying? I'm like, and anyway, I just cry and then, and I look at my dad, Dad, how can what do you do, Dad? Like, I, I do you ever cry? Like, and he goes, and he goes, and he looks right over to me, he goes, Tom, I cry inside, Tom. And I go, that's how you do it. Uh and that was it. That was the clincher for me. Okay. So I'll just cry inside.
1: Oh. No,
2: intense, isn't it? <laughs> Just to think that the young boy got that information from his his father, but that and that's what he did. And I, when I realised that was for him, I was really and that was many years down the track. But yeah, so uh, I still have a tricky time crying.
1: Wow. That's such a big message to get, isn't it, for a young guy to just be told that, you know, and that's that was always a thing, wasn't it? Boys mm. don't cry and men don't mm. cry and mm. I cry mm. on the inside. Wow. Mm. To
2: We've carry to that. Somehow, oh, yeah. And I'm sure that, you know, internalising things has been a big thing for me and not really sort of um, sharing emotional things uh, or emotions. So that's been in identifying emotions you know since cuz the the alcohol was was just putting that out um the drugs would just lift me away from it so mm. it just didn't have to be dealt with and so when we we really need help dealing with this stuff it's not a we just and, and if it makes no sense to anyone who's listening or whatever to kind of ask for help it never made sense for me <laughs> i think it's
1: yeah yeah well especially when you've got that kind of messaging too you know Mm. that you cry on the inside you you, you know you don't ask for help i know that so you went into taking meth was that at that point when their career was sort of starting to Mm. to kind of wind down
2: i didn't take it was really cocaine at first like um Mm -hmm. that i'd sort of binge on that kind of brought me to the moment with something really weird here, like I've got this beautiful family. This is like 1991, by the way. Beautiful family, young family, beautiful wife, beautiful life. Uh, but I was like wanting to escape and have my own space and and the cocaine would try to somewhat give me the illusion of that and um, uh, for a short time and I'd just escape into that and, and I'd have to drink too to kind of come down from it. So I'd sort of have some sort of control over some sort of little bit of my life somehow. I think Mm -hmm. that's what I thought. It was very illusory. And it's also, you know, I think cocaine's a real ego drug, you know. So I had my ego stroke a lot. So once that wasn't happening and I needed to get a bit, that kind of tied into that as well. And I think around then I remember like my Beautiful wife found me underneath the house with a bottle of, trying to down this bottle of vodka, and and she knew that I was like she used to really upset her, you know, seeing me on cocaine, and it was really a deep sadness when I think of this because she, it would just break her heart, you know, and um, and it was it just it was tearing us apart each time. This had happened, but I couldn't. I'd say, "Oh no, no, no you know," like I'd come back and I'd get get ourselves back, get the trust back, and then I'd break it again. And then that started happening. And I go, finally, this family, a really good friend. I was training with physical. I like, just still working out, still surfing, doing all this stuff, staying as fit as possible because <laughs> I because the, ex, the exterior kind of kind of. Who, who Tom was had to be like this the interior one i didn't know the exterior one i had to be like this so and and the interior one i i knew intimately but i didn't want anyone to know about it it was very secret so it was very very i held it tight you know so uh and this was kind of this this guest bipolar scenario with you know expressed to me was was getting bigger it was getting wider uh, and then i and then i thought i, I knew there was something wrong you <laughs> just go the knowing the the, the deeper knowing that's going on you're kind of like this is not right no one does this stuff you know like i don't know any of my friends who do this stuff i know some creepy friends <laughs> but they're creepy <laughs> and they're the cars they're the people i get the gear off so it's sort of <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. like it's mm. I don't really want to associate with him, but you know <laughs> so it's, it's right. Very, right. Mm. Uh, uh, so and then there's the party time it's how having fun, that's okay when you do it there, but not on your own. And kind not of, under the house. Not underneath the house with a bottle of vodka and yeah. Mm. So very strange, uh, you know, it just starts to appear and, and, and present in life. And that was when uh this person said, okay, the word was out. and said, look, Tom, we've got to do something about this. I'm going to get you um, some help from this guy. And we're going, oh, fuck. If it keeps everyone off my, I thought internally, I thought if it keeps everyone off my back, fuck. And I can sort of, you know, do that and then I can still kind of, you know, sneak off and here and there because that's the addict, the alcoholic person in me wants to live. It wants to, wants to, uh, you know, Wants to recreate itself uh, all the time, nonstop,
0: twenty four right. seven.
2: So um, it still does today. So it's not gone. So, but then it was like, okay, I went saw this, did these sort of once every couple of weeks. I saw this special person. I remember special person because I was special. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, right.
2: So enabled to do this. So. It's, it never works. And so, and this special person, I went and saw him three times. Is his, his, his. anyway.
1: What the special the, person do?
2: There's psychologists, the special people do special things. And I'm anyway, more special people. And so, uh, he had a special practice, you know, on top of a toaster looking over the harbor. And mm. I thought I was in good hands. And then, like, I was just pouring my heart out because it's exactly what I wanted to do. I really wanted to do it. I couldn't quite do it with my my wife because I didn't want to hurt her, you know, all this sort of stuff. I felt really tight. And so I finally started kind of coming out and I was like kind of spilling it out. And I remember this special psychologist and a psychoanalyst uh, guy um, who was uh, up in this beautiful rooms, uh, he he. I told my brother, I think, about him. And my brother, about a few days later, I oh, know few, a few times I saw him, maybe four or five times. And then I got notified that they'd been, my brother had looked in the paper and goes, so This guy, his name's in the paper. It's like it says that he's been struck off the register for shooting oh. pethidine. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. So I've gone, I've gone, wow. Like the addict it just jumps on that. Like just goes, Zhoop. right. Well, well, if he does that, like, <laughs> let's go. You know? Right. So, wow. Yeah. Party time. So, mm. uh, I mean, I went through a number of issues, you know, fell into a number of uh, kind of therapists' laps over. You know, to doing one-on-one where I could actually manipulate the situation, so I'd keep people off my back. I could keep going off, get more and more secretive about how I did things, and sort of went off the background. So the Tom's out there doing the world. Everyone thinks you're all right. I'm getting darker, and but I'm doing doing this other spinning the bow tie to this one person. So I could do this. I could manipulate the situation. The ultimate manipulator, and um, so that was uh, how I kind of played it for a few years until it, it eventually, like the gopher, whatever it is, it comes out of that hole. Just comes out a little bit stronger one day, and you don't quite get it down. It gets messy, and so mm-hmm. and the, all this stuff you're just trying to keep down. Uh, that was for me. This is this is my journey. It's similar mm-hmm. for. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, the same thing happens to us as we fall towards a uh, rock bottom, and then. I kind of started swapping because the cocaine got boring, <laughs> kind of boring. Uh, I was looking for more excitement, and ecstasy came around, and I started doing a lot of ecstasy. Started getting really quite successful in the business, and so there was quite a lot of money coming in. I was supporting everyone, so that was all good, you know. And I was doing quite well um, materially, spiritually. I was fuck. I was like, <clears throat> like I was like trying to pull this. Ride this line and uh, I was hectic, getting more hectic. But the ecstasy was, oh, no, I don't do coke anymore, right? <laughs> I'll just do mm-hmm. the ecstasy and the ecstasy. Mm-hmm. And well, you just don't know what you're going to get. Like you're just going to get this, you're going to get that, you're not sure what you're going to get, but you're always going. I was always reaching for it and the addict sort of kind of built another kind of, it's almost got, got another appendage
1: were mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you doing that on your own or with people? With people
2: and on my own. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's how I did it. Party time, I'm Mr Party Guy, life of the party. And then I'd do it on my own and then it would be kind of absurd absurd times too. And, um, and that was more sort of information for me on my own to know that, oh, yeah, this isn't right. And it would be very confusing because that, that drug you wouldn't, know what was in it and sometimes it would be very mixed, mixed effects. So, mm. but the one thing I'd go back to was alcohol because <clears throat> at the end of the day I knew uh, I could rely on alcohol because where it was the same. It was like I could just go to the bowl shop. Alcohol was the same. I could just lean on it and I could notice that there's a few times when I couldn't get what I wanted to get that I just turned to alcohol.
1: because. Mm.
2: Um, that was the place to go. My my ex wife loved to have a few drinks too, and so that kind of sort of set in nicely.
1: Yeah. But
2: um, when I <clears throat> when I we fell um, pregnant, we we were just watching my my daughters turn to towards their teens, uh, early teens, and I was starting to think, oh, I've got to go to high school, and they, I've got to kind of get them through all this. They want to go to, you know, there's push to go into private schooling, so we've got to somehow make that work financially and all this other stuff. And all this stuff was really overwhelming for me. I remember at the time because I, was, I wasn't I was ready to emotionally deal with it all that and, um, and actually plan it. And I had plenty of money, but I was like, how am I going to pull this off? And <clears throat> I was quite frightened of that, scared underlying that. And then... Um, just unplanned out of, the, out of nowhere, not that we planned the early, how early our first daughters came, but all of a sudden um, a third child was on, on the cards and, and that was really scary. Like that really freaked me out. I thought, how am I going to pull this? Like this is intense. And I just really was not, I it was just a negative because she could see me kind of sense me going downhill in this other kind of person and then she falls pregnant and then I'm, like, going, like, I'm in rejection mode, like, I'm going, oh, I don't know what I could. Yeah, so it was a very tricky time when she fell, when Lisa, my ex-wife, fell pregnant with our third daughter, Grace, and so it was a very, I I remember the only out of the three, it's the only one I know exactly when was con- she was conceived and the whole thing kind of was kind of next otherworldly because uh, she she just arrived in the world, Grace, <clears throat> and Lisa just glowed through the pregnancy. Like she just, and I was just going, oh, my God, she just looked like this sort of thing. It, she just you could feel her kind of walking through the house in this sort of serene kind of being with an extra being, you know, I was like going, God, I was affected, of course, uh, mm. ultra ultra sensitive through the drugs that I was taking, but I wasn't all the time on drugs. I was just in and out of it, trying to control it. But I could see her just glowing and she was so healthy and Grace comes along and she was like, this is like 2001, you know, so 10 years after. Um, it was 2001 when she fell pregnant, 2000, um, er, no, early 2002, I should say, and it was early 2003, Grace was born. And that was like she was, you know, I was already into sort of like knowing what was going on with myself for a good over 10 decade, <clears throat> trying mm-hmm. to still seek help people around me knowing that I need help with this sort of thing, whatever's going on with Tom. No one knew what the, how to deal with it. Uh, he'll be okay. <laughs> and so, oh, I'm all right, you know. And so Grace comes along and she's like a baseball bat over the head, really. Like it was like trying to deal with this beautiful little girl. She was just such a beautiful kid. And so and then the oldest daughters sort of like going into their teens so they're kind of kind of narrowing their kind of focus on themselves and we thought oh maybe they'll give us a hand cuz how are we going to deal with all this
0: mm-hmm. you know
2: getting the kids through all their extracurriculars while a baby in your hand you kind of kind of doing all this stuff <clears throat> and it just wasn't what i thought was going to happen <laughs> and grace and then and then at that time In in that 2000, I tasted crystal meth in 2001 but didn't really sort of touch the sides. It didn't really, wasn't something that I kind of liked. But when it came to the overwhelm of having that whole new child in the house and all this other extra stuff going with work and all the demands that I was putting myself in front of and not feeling centred at all or grounded in in any shape, or form. I, uh, an acquaintance said, "Oh, you should try a little bit of this. There's some really nice stuff that's just coming to town, and um, <clears throat> you should try it. And just have a little bit of in a bit of water, and I tasted it, and and all of a sudden, I all these jobs <laughs> that needed to get done around the house were done, like that. Mm, i God! i go, going, wow, how cool was that? And that just, that was like, I spent the whole day doing it, and and Lisa was really, oh, wow, cool. Geez, you did a good job there, you know. i have going, yeah, I did a really good job, didn't I? And I'm feeling really alert and calm. I'm, I'm, I'm into this, whatever I'm doing, and I don't need any, anything else. Alcohol actually ruined the effect of it. So I actually kind of dropped alcohol at that point and um, I didn't need it anymore. Wow.
0: And I was just taking
2: little bits
0: mm-hmm. of uh,
2: the crystal meth and that felt like I kind of met something at the right time for that moment, and um, and that sort of I knew it wasn't. I'd heard a lot of stories about it, read some stuff about it, and but I completely kind of overlooked that, um, and I sort of slowly went into a kind of down downhill spiral for about you know, until 2006 when I've it brought me to my knees.
1: How did it bring you to your knees? How how did it look for you?
2: Uh, well, I couldn't see it. <laughs> so other people were kind of saying, oh, Tom's a bit crazy. <laughs> I'm fine. What are you talking about? And, yeah, and I was doing and I was setting precedences on trying to find it and getting it because it, it just sort of, it would disappear out of uh, availability, and and I couldn't get it. So I just searched far and wide. Next minute, I'm driving to Wollongong and back. Next when I'm driving, you know, going way out of my way, kind of going to seedy places in Sydney, going to um, West Sydney, going to places where I never thought I'd go to to get it, so I could get that alert feeling uh, of being engaged and 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 productive and. And, and that I could just keep going when I needed to. And, uh, and then it became kind of more and more of a daily thing. Uh, it just became a part of what I was doing and I wasn't happy unless I had it. So when I didn't have it, I was, um, I become increasingly more irritable and, and less engaged and <clears throat> increasingly more kind of white knuckling it between availability and non-availability
1: wow wow it's funny like thinking of you know knowing that you're such a a famous surfer and you're so Mm. well known that you'd imagine that being able to get anything like that would be so easy but then Mm. this image of you having to drive into seedy parts of town and that's where Mm. you know it doesn't matter it doesn't discriminate you know addiction doesn't matter how famous you are or what accolades you've got Mm. under your belt once it's got its hold mm. on you, it, mm. um, it takes you down to the lowest depths of where you could imagine that you would go. Mm. I'm sure. Wow, that's so full on. And so, mm. what was the breaking point where you were like, right, I've got to get some help here. I've got to, you know, nail well, this thing.
2: It, it was actually the people around. It was the love around me? People could see it. You know, the um, my ex, my, my ex wife. Uh, her connections with people around her that actually I didn't know such things as Narcotics Anonymous 12 step fellow group. I heard of the 12 steps before, but I thought, oh, that's for, I don't know, what are you talking about? you to walk up 12 steps. I don't know. I was like, I, just, I used to think, you know, <laughs> well, that's for, uh, and um, <laughs> that's amazing. And anyway, I'm like, i uh, I just had that. Stuff going on in the background that I didn't know because they didn't want to come directly to me. They were baffled. I was baffled uh, how to deal with this, and I was and I was in complete denial. You have to be denial to survive it. Uh, you know, the coping mechanism of denial is very powerful, and it sort of holds us in a, a pattern until we know we have, you know, until we're ready and fully willing. And I I. um there was someone who was in long, well, eight and a half years of recovery in Narcotics Anonymous um, when I'd finally been revealed my because I'd kept it so undercover and that no one would have known, well, I thought no one knew. <laughs> so everyone was sort of saw me for what I was really in the end and, uh, and so this was in like 2006. I was away overseas. Uh, for many, many, one of my many trips overseas. And when I'd go overseas, I wouldn't use anything. I'd I'd actually go overseas and do whatever I needed to do. I'd actually clean up and I'd feel quite well and I couldn't wait to get home, like to set up the next deal, so I could get back on, get back on home and just start flying around like a lunatic.
1: Oh, wow. (laughs) So So you never felt like if you'd cleaned up overseas that mm -hmm. you would get home and carry on with staying clean?
2: No, this just didn't oh, wow. work coming home, yeah. Once I got home, I was associating the drug with home. So once you start to associate things together, the, it's a powerful mechanism. And so in, in, anyway, I, um, uh, I was away for a month and it was a long time, usually i go away max for two weeks. So I was away for a month and I had a great trip and I'd organised everything for that time when I first got back. And while I was away, my, my ex-wife was found this um, found all my paraphernalia and all the stuff, and she kind of had this inkling that something was going on for me through those months, you know, leading up to this. And that because um, you just get messier because you need more because it accumulates in the system. You just need more and you need to be associated. And she'd already... She already caught me out some years before, and it seemed like i'd gone for because it the the crystal meth when you take us if you don't overdo it you tend, you just can't tell really whether someone's on that guy so it's very tricky to understand you have to know what it's like to be yeah to be on it um, until someone's really really out really in a bad way so I um I was pretty much on the point of no return as far as, like, the addiction <clears throat> side of things, but the, she found that I got back home from this trip and she set me up for a couple of days to watch what I do because she didn't really know what to do, but she was going to confront me. And so that when she confronted me, I'll never forget the sinking feeling of being revealed for what I was, you know, and what I've been doing, the sinking, the shame. You know the overwhelming shame and guilt, and um, being caught out. And she said, you, "You, we've got someone that that uh, that you know." And I knew. I said, "I oh, know, I know. I've got to do something about this. this. is really, really getting bad." And so she, you know, there's a lot more than that. <laughs> but um, she um, pointed me to this friend that I didn't even know was doing narcotics anonymous. Go and see him because we don't know what to do. time like you're going to have to do something. You, you know, we, first of all, she thought you're going to have to go to church or something. And I've gone, <laughs> <laughs> something something rang true for me about it. I'm yeah. going to have to. This is a lot more than just this physical thing or, or this thing going on. Just to do. this is what broader. So maybe I'll have to go to church, you know. And and it kind of rang true, but I've gone. I oh, don't church just. Like God and all that stuff, I just didn't, I couldn't. I'd already made this whole big thing up about it, seeing how you know how people tended to hack each other to death over it. So I was just like, I wasn't, I wasn't really. It didn't group me at all at that point. Mm -hmm. But there was a truth in it. I remember looking her in the eyes and going, "You, you're right. There's something. I have to do something uh, like that." Anyway, I went to a meeting with. I went and visited my friend on a Thursday night, i never forget it, knocked on the door, he opened the door, uh, he'd oh, known him for years and called me by my nickname, which as a kid was called G- Goblin, Gobbo. And he goes, oh, Gobbo, ah, it's about time. <laughs> and mm. he pulled me in and he started chatting to me about all this stuff, but I couldn't hear anything because I was crazy in the head. By then, the uh, crystal math uh, was very powerful in the system in triggering thoughts and crazy thoughts, and so I was just trying to trying to trying to think my way out of everything and um, <clears throat> so it was hard to hear him, but he said, "Look, we're going to go to a meeting uh, an N a meeting, and he introduced me to n a meetings uh, you know, which was a real eye open for me. Like uh, I was sitting there listening to it's a Thursday night meeting down at Newport, in my local town, which was just like, oh my god, someone's going to know who I am. Da da da. All that stuff going on in my head. And I was, they're going to find out who, who who I really am. I'm a you know I'm a hoax. I'm like this addict. Da da da. It's really scary. And um, but I went in and um, I went with him and it was a calm experience i i remember going oh there's actually just one person talking in the room this is amazing i'm always in a room where everyone's talking over each other
1: <laughs> oh yeah yeah
2: mm-hmm. uh this is that was a, that was my existence and this was all of a sudden a whole new there was actually people talking about them the their, their experience with the disease and i go ah oh. uh, but I still used it as something to keep my ex-wife at bay and people off my and and because addicts still trying to resurface and and kind of claim claim my life really it mm-hmm. just take claiming my life and yeah and and I started hearing things in some of the meetings I was starting to go with him he picked me up taking the meetings I'd still use say I was clean. I was still lying. I like, couldn't tell the truth if I tried. I was like, I was just, just lying through my teeth, just trying to, you know, help the addicts survive this onslaught, which which was causing a lot, a lot of pain and, um, mm-hmm. and discomfort. Mm-hmm. So I had to keep going a little bit harder with the substances. Uh, and then the alcohol started to come in again. And I started using that because I, I, I thought, it's just a drug thing, I can still use alcohol. <laughs> but it was like messy, messy moments, and that actually made me go harder and go on a more steeper, at first, with the, with the meetings. I thought, this doesn't even work. Like, I'm, like, getting worse and I'm trying to live be more creepy with how I was doing stuff. And so it actually forced me into to kind of go for a steeper, and quicker journey to exactly where I needed to go to open up. And so, yeah, so I eventually was caught out a number of times again, causing so much distress for my ex-wife and my kids were feeling it for sure. And I'll talk to them, of course, now I'm 15 and a half years clean and sober, but I've had a lot of talks with my daughters about this time and how they were feeling it's been an amazing journey, but she and and I, uh, I didn't really have a father, so I had to go into treatment. And uh, because my sponsor said, "You you got one foot in, one foot out," he said, "This is my first sponsor in the program. You got one foot in, one foot out, and this is going to split you in half, Tom, and you may never survive that." So. Let's let's look at this option. I think it's a good time now for you to go to treatment, and you'll have to do it over Christmas. And this is like December. That that this is uh, something that you'll. It's up to you. You know, you can you can go in after Christmas, but I. And I just knew that I said, God, if I if I got another Christmas in me, this is this could be really hectic. Like I, could, I might not. So I just uh, put my hand up because there's so many, because in the meetings, it just sort of filters into you. You know, this program called, you know, Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, 12-step program, seeing people being there, sharing their experience, and actually it filters in during those times when you're listening, maybe listening, you're just getting this information, and, and you don't even know you're getting it. <laughs> but it's happening. And I'm like going, oh, it's getting harder to kind of do this, and i I've got to go, I've got to go, and I kept looking at my daughters and my beautiful wife, and I I was looking at my daughters going, oh, I can't, I've got to. So I ended up just putting my hand up and going into a local um, Northern Beaches treatment centre for six weeks over Christmas in 2006 uh, to South Pacific private hospital. Luckily, I had private insurance and, and everything sort of worked out, and that my... It was very stressful for my wife and kids at the time, and even to the point where she said just before, you know, I was going, I went in on the eighteenth of December, and she, she was saying, "Oh, look, I don't think I can do Christmas for the kids alone." And I said, "I can I don't think I'm a, I don't think you may not have me back if." If uh, I don't go in, you know, this This is, you may, I don't know what will happen for me over Christmas because I'd already done some pretty crazy stuff in that period from, uh, this was when I came back from that trip revealed was late August. So September, October, November, I'd spiralled downward and done some pretty crazy things that I could see were a pattern of it, what was coming through in the meetings and said, it's just going to go, It's going to go steep and deep. You're going to go steep and deep, and it wants you in the fetal position. It wants you there to surrender to a new way. Uh, That's, yeah, so December 18th, it's my clean date, yeah, December 18th, 2006. So I didn't know I was going to stay. I didn't even know I wanted to be clean.
1: Wow, that's (laughs) Uh, so amazing uh, that you that you did and you stayed there, mm. what you just said there to surrender into a new way mm. just, like, poof, got me there because mm. it's like I think that's what has to happen. You have to ah. surrender and also surrender into a new way of being. And usually
2: way. usually when you do that, you, you, fight, you, you fall into it, into this space and, and everything seems to go silent, quiet in the mind. It's like, oh, you finally make this. Surrender, and, and if you go looking for doing it, it won't happen. But if you fully give yourself to a program, and 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 I remember all the cleaner member telling me after a meeting. This was at Narabeen, uh, tramshed meeting, and he said, and and I used to love listening to this guy's shares, and he said, he said, Tom, this is you know going, knowing that I'm going to retail a book. Then he goes, he looked at me really closely deep into my eyes, and he said, trust the process. And oh, I'm, it making me want to cry now because um, it was just one of those moments where things, those things start to sink in. When those things start to sort of sink in, the, it kind of bounces off something inside you and kind of wants you to move forward. And um, and no matter what's going on, <laughs> and so okay, I'm open to whatever's going to come here. Like okay, I got I know nothing, I know nothing, <laughs> I know nothing. <laughs> and now all of a sudden, really cool, cool stuff starts to come, and I was ready. And I like, can they talk about uh, higher, getting a higher power, and getting a a, a, a god of your own understanding, which is. Which is a beautiful it's a concept. It's pretty obvious, really, what's going on here. You know, like that we don't really have that much control at mm. the end of the day. And mm. uh, and really good things start to come uh when we surrender ourselves to new new ways of doing things. Like it's that's been my experience. And it's 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 continually kind of uh, reinforced by what they say is give give it away, keep giving it away and, and then give it away to the newcomer because
0: because mm-hmm. that's sort
2: of moved through me and it goes into another person and that can go to another person and the healing kind of is is um, a beautiful thing, but it can't happen if I'm if I'm putting something in me that's going to take me away from that. That's really, really clear. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter what it is too, it doesn't
1: mm-hmm.
2: it could be anything, it could be a whole bunch of shit food. <laughs> but I can't stop eating, or it can be um, just escaping, you know, from myself too much, you know, just in fantasy. It can be in my fantasy of um, of, of an idea of someone filling me. <laughs> um, it can be, uh, you know, and, and drug is an alcohol. It's just uh, alcohol is a drug. Drug is alcohol. What am I saying? So it's it's the same thing, same answer for the same condition. So any
1: way in which we're distracting ourselves from ourselves Mm. is just that is is like a coping mechanism, but it's taking us. It's just taking us Mm. away from that connection Mm. from ourselves, and then we can't heal when we're not connected to ourselves. So identifying what it is that's taking us away, Mm. and it doesn't have to be just alcohol. It can be, um, you know, or drugs. It can be it can be the news. It could mm. be Netflix. Anything that's taking us away from that connection, and, it's and it is always
2: it's very. It's so common to not feel whole and complete. It ever, but we're you know, used to it, right? We're yeah. so used
1: to it, yeah. yeah. But even for you, from from a young age, mm. you know, from you know, even that losing your mum and not being able to fully express that mm. properly and not having that. And, you know, not blaming dad or anything mm. like that or grandma, but yeah. not being able to fully experience and express that, that's, mm. that's where I, for me that's from what you've said, that starts that disconnection mm. with yourself mm. way back then. Yeah, mm.
2: disconnection from spirit. Yes. So like yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, you got it. You hit the nail on the head. It's like a, it's a, it's a beautiful thing being having the opportunity to integrate. Back in and um, actually see the eye, see the world through like clear eyes, and and be able to share my experience clearly with with people, you know, and um, and be a be a father, <laughs> mm-hmm. be a good partner, and ex husband, and, ex-husband and um, father, you know, and all that that basic stuff, and be able to take good care of myself on a daily basis like rather than well, I have the option you know
1: yeah insane. so I'm
2: just always I'm not perfect <laughs> I thought I thought that there was an opportunity of being perfect at one point <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, well we all know that's bullshit yeah <laughs> proper <laughs> proper bullshit that's a it's a illusory in it sort of like it's yeah. always sort of oh yeah I can be really really perfect oh, oh no Dun,
1: yeah, right. <laughs> I know. Tom, tell me, how did surrendering to a new way of being, how did that look for you?
2: Mm. No, I didn't really know at the time. I was completely kind of cracked open at that time, particularly the the main, the, the, the big surrender. And all of a sudden I'm suggestible. Uh, things are suggestible f- for the first time. Um, I'm suggestible. Um, my mind is quietened down enough to... Be open to suggestion, and then and then and then given advice, and I'm open to direction from an outside source. The that's they that's such just what's so good about these the twelve step fellowships is that it's there and available daily, and we make connections in it. So, you know, because we kind of take back you know, and I really understand the. This is a, a, a dis ease of the human mind. It's a dis ease. So we can be in when we're, when we're holding on, we're forcing things to happen and we're pushing our agenda and we're forcing things in on other people or the world. We get, we get this irritable discontent about us naturally. And, we're, and we'll be forced to surrender once again. It's just, it's just this cycle. Mm-hmm. Of, uh, and there's an opportunity to surrender in each moment. There's no doubt about that. Um, it's offered to us in each moment. But quite often when our default mechanism is to kind of resist and fight every kind of thing it can be very, very taxing on the system.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So it's that staying open, isn't it? Not fighting and resisting.
2: And that, like, he reminded me of something, this uh, older cleaner member, again, wise older cleaner member, sharing his experience with this disease, he said that he had, he says this is the most open-minded entity that he's ever come across. So we have to approach it with as as broad an open uh, perspective on it. it has to be as broad maybe broader but at least as broad <clears throat> because it's coming as open as broad back that's the entity that's within us uh that's potent of all potential the potential of it is is so so we have to come in open if we come in narrow it's it's going to find its way back in it's actually going oh <laughs> Watch mm-hmm. this! Uh, right,
1: so you say, like the addiction is this sort of mm, big, wide mm, entity, mm. yeah,
2: broad binded entity within us, wow, which yeah. is 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 there, mm. and it is is just in us. Now, how do we address this? This, so we have to bring in something as broad, and and that is, is you know, if, as soon as we start thinking we're God, we're kind of fucked. <laughs> so. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So it's really about being super open minded, and and I hold that really lightly because if I even just thinking that I'm open minded <laughs> is enough for it to kind of ah, oh, I he think he's open minded. What's this.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so
2: it's just it's just uh, it's just being, and, and it does draw you to being in a fully fully surrendered state, uh, which we need. It's a nice thing to practice daily some sort of mindfulness, some sort of practice where we' come deep, come go for the journey within just for a moment just to settle down everything within the system so we get an experience of ourselves in a fully as, as surrendered as possible, I'm not trying to force it, just allow ourselves just to surrender to whatever that might be it might be your breath or whatever you might have a mantra or whatever and and go toward it with a meditation of some sort. it might be, just doing gardening, it might be just giving yourself time and just creating space, say like giving yourself time. you're actually giving you know, giving yourself that space to um, just be. And, mm. and then putting that information in regularly, uh, if it's not done regularly we'll find that we'll just get caught again um, and we'll naturally be in that disc- that irritable disc- discontent. Uh, that they talk about in uh, this beautiful program,
1: yeah. recovery. You know, they mm-hmm.
2: this irritant, discontent um, that just is underlying our condition. Mm-hmm.
1: I feel like, I mean, meditation comes up a lot in this podcast. Obviously, interviewing a lot of people in mm-hmm. recovery, and, and pretty much everyone uses meditation. And so, I mean, where and everyone listening is lucky enough, you know, to. Like from you, you do a free meditation, don't mm. you, on, on mm. Instagram? Can you talk a bit about yeah. that and how mm. and also how you became a meditation teacher yourself?
2: Mm. Well, in, in um, uh, when I fell into South Pacific private hospital, there was a, someone teaching one of the, one of the um, <clears throat> uh, therapists in there with, who was running the program. Gave a, a, a meditation <clears throat> and I, I, couldn't, I, I couldn't even read properly on the, the steps on the, on the walls uh, on, in, in the meetings. So I never missed it on the 11th step where it's, it's the maintenance part of the steps, the last three steps, steps um, 10, 11, 12 and 11. They, they offer up that meditation is a, as a tool to maintain your recovery and uh, and increase your ability to contact that power greater than ourselves. And, and But there was this person giving guided meditations and I, I going, oh, oh, I've got to have that because I'm crazy. I've got to stop my thoughts somehow. So And I'd, and I'd heard of other the clean members actually meditating and I'm like, oh, it sounds good, but I can't sit, can't sit for five, one minute. You're lucky for me to see. I was like, oh, I was tapping my feet. I'm like, was oh, my nervous system was rattled from that exogenous sort of material coming into the system, just like fifty grit on the nervous system, uh, crystal meth, you know, or any kind of uh, stuff that's heating the system up. And I'm like, so I've, I started meditating in in there in that facility, and I completely, like I said, I. I'd surrendered, so I was open. So I saw that maybe I could. I found a guide to meditation also, and uh, I, I took the a little bit of instruction from this this um, facilitation in the in the rehab. And then I got a guide to meditation from the shop inside the rehab. That started me on the daily. Daily, I thought, I'm going to give myself to this daily. I, I don't, don't know what I'm doing. I don't care. I don't know. I'm just doing it. So I just started doing it, and then one of the older cleaner came out of the med- came out of the rehab. I was scared, S- went straight in the meetings. And one of the one of the older cleaner members, quite twenty five years clean, and I was just like, "This guy's unbelievable! What's he doing?" He goes, "Well, I meditate, and what's going to happen?" And he told me, he "Said, what's going to happen, Tom, is if you keep this meditation up, for us addicts." Our first thought is wrong. We, our first thought is wrong. But if you keep meditating, Tom, and this is going to happen, is you're going to create a gap between your first thought and your action. And this is going to happen, I'll guarantee you. And awesome. I've gone, oh, and I remember him just, I'm bringing that in. I've gone, okay, well, I'm just going to stick to this because I've been doing it for like almost six weeks. I'm going to keep running this on. And that's what I did. And then in about three, four months clean, it was, became evident that gap between my first thought and action and it actually gave me a chance. And, and it revealed itself in a number of scenarios which helped me stay clean. And I've gone, this is an amazing tool. Like I, I'm going to give myself completely utterly to this. And I, I did it ever since <laughs> daily. And it started to actually help this space within me kind of grow and I <clears throat> so this experience it's a tool and it's not the only tool but it's a beautiful tool for anyone's life to place in particularly those of us who can completely kind of caught in uh, in attachments and and rigged in the pain of attachment so but it's a beautiful uh, been a beautiful process one that I never thought i'd ever keep going with i didn't know um, and it's revealed to me um, things about myself which are it's just ongoing a beautiful journey um, and it's a tricky journey it's not like a, an easy thing to and I, and that's why I think we need teachers along the way and that's what I go for today it's a uh, but I, I I've gone through many different styles of meditation over the time um, and I never thought I'd be a meditation teacher. <laughs> that was the last thing. But uh, when the pandemic came, and I know that it's a beautiful way of offloading stress out of the system without us trying to go in there and take something or do something. It's just Once we surrender into the process of the practice, we give ourselves that chance to go to the list. Everything starts to lift out of the system stress-wise. So we get this tremendous effect. And it's been such an ancient, uh, old, old technology, but thousands of years old. And, uh, and it's still relevant, so relevant today. And so the pandemic came and I was going, wow, I could feel the collective stress rise up and I've gone over like a few days The like, show okay it's lockdown da, 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 this stuff's going on I'm going wow maybe oh I asked my partner I said Mary what do you think I should do I could do an Instagram live I've got quite a lot of followers I could I could give like maybe a, a stage one introduction to meditation for people because this is when people might be most open to it because they're in high stress they're looking for something else they can't do anything uh, and this is a technology, Instagram going through this little rectangle we could going kind to of go through here and get to people. And so I started doing it daily, five mm-hmm. minutes, just as an introduction. So I did that for two weeks and then I went into doing it three times a day, three times a week, which I still do today, and that's over two and a half years now. Almost. It's
1: so amazing. And so if someone wanted to mm. tune into your Instagram live, firstly they need mm. to follow you on Instagram. Mm. And your Instagram handle is just, it's, is it Thomas Carroll? Thomas Victor Carroll. Thomas Victor Carroll. And um, yeah. obviously, mm. yeah, they can't miss it. And what, is it 6 a.m.? Yeah, it's, uh, it's on the
2: Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday morning at uh, 5.50 a.m. I open it up and we sort of basically practice from about 6 onward yeah and so in, awesome Do a little bit of breath work before it too uh, just very very basic uh breath sequence but yeah so been. yeah oh, just, that's uh, so great
1: well i would say to anyone listening to this podcast mm-hmm. today to give that a go and tune in especially for people that are, are starting out and they're not sure about this mm-hmm. whole meditation thing that we talk about yeah. a lot on the podcast you know give it a try it's there it's Mm. free and Mm. then you also you're running retreats as well now yeah um, yeah which is awesome
2: yeah i've been doing uh i i i've been doing the art of longevity retreat retreats with um, rodrigo perez from holistic pro health up in queensland we get together he does a lot of really nice body movement associated with athletic performance but it's just a really nice routine. He does a lot of sort of um, it's, it's, all, it's all a little, not yoga, but it's very close, but it's also we work into different areas with that. So over a four day, four nights, five days period, we sort of move into sort of uh, m- different areas of that use nutrition and, and so on. We do put it in place where we go surfing. So for those who surf can come and join us in surfing. I can help them out there but also give two to, two meditations a day and talk about what meditation is about in Knowledge Talks through, throughout that period. So you can see those on, a, on my website, tomcarolmeditation.com or on Rod's website, Holistic Pro Health. Uh, and I also um, am doing a, a retreat with my partner, Mary, which is, um, journey journey with Tom Carroll, which is is uh, that's the next the next sorry go back next art of longevity is on the first weekend of, of August and then the one I'm doing with the Mary um, is down the south coast so that's that that will be we'll be using Mary's a brilliant yoga teacher has, has a great experience in the knowledge of this beautiful asana techniques and so on. So, and I'll be bringing in the breath work and the, then the meditation throughout another four-day journey um, down the south coast. Uh, so you oh, can beautiful. see, yeah, so these these, these are um, just beautiful time and retreats a beautiful word because in today's age, what we're doing in time, taking so much information constantly throughout the day on any given day, there's so much going on. We, if we don't give ourselves time to breathe and the space to sort of retreat from it and allow ourselves to kind of give ourselves some some new information then this will or just to reset uh, this incredible system the mind and body that's just supporting us the whole time it wants to support us all the time it's turn isn't the other it?
1: way <laughs> <Isn't> <laughs> our bodies are just so our bodies and mind our spirit is so amazing Mm. and it wants to be healed but we Mm. like you say we turn away from that so much Mm. with your integration with coming out of rehab yeah and integrating into normal life it was meditative i'm asking this from a personal perspective as well because i've got some family members have been affected by meth and one of my Mm. my beautiful nephew he's actually in jail at the moment um Mm and he's been in, incarcerated now for a couple of years. Mm. And in some ways it was maybe the best thing that ever happened to him to get yep. him away from the, the ice, mm. taking yeah. ice, and, and, and he was alcohol as well. Mm. And he's been able to reset. But, of course, you know, jail brings its own trauma Absolutely.
0: and a whole lot of other stuff. It's just yeah. been
1: horrific, um, okay. in, you know, for him. And But one thing we're all hopeful, that when he comes out, he wants to stay clean and he's... Great. How, what would be some advice for you in terms of integrating, you know, he's got that time under his belt of a couple of mm. years clean, but getting mm. back into normal life mm. and the stress that comes along with it, the old friends? You yeah,
2: know. very, very. Um, uh, I'd say prior to coming out, um, I think they've got 12-step fellowship inside, don't they? Do They have H&I. We, we go, I know there's members. I've done it before. It's going to the jails and talk. I think if, if, if he can connect with a fellowship, uh, a recovery fellowship, uh, whether it be NA or AA, <clears throat> um, it would be very um, helpful to him. Also, if you can get straight into getting close to people who, who, who are actually living a clean life, get as close as you can to people who are doing it. And you're always the sum of the people that you're close to around around you. Yeah. So um, this is a very important thing because if you go back to the old friend, even um, a dealer or something like that, you'll just go and talk to that dealer exactly the way you talked to him the last time you saw them. You'll just naturally do that. It's just the way us humans Just like, you know, you get a really old friend from school and you haven't seen him for like 30 years and they look a little bit different. (laughs) But all of a sudden you're talking to them and you're going to be talking to them in kind of really similar way all of a sudden as to what you were the last time you talked to them. Sometimes it feels really disorientating because i got nothing really. Do I have much? I'm kind of, what have you been doing? But I'm sort of, all of a sudden I can only... Go back to that moment. So, be very, very careful about the people that you avail yourself to. We always like that. Um, we are the sum of those who who we are close to and we we hang out with. And um, yeah. uh, so, be very careful with that. Go, go, and and and, and actively seek those people that are um, are going to be healthy. Are with you and you can be healthy with them
0: yeah it's so true isn't
1: that. it mm. yeah to be around people that have the same kind of goal in mind which is to be well and to mm. yeah to be mm. whole
0: mm. and
1: to yeah yeah and mm. perhaps the other friends if they need to come along for the ride they'll get there eventually in their own time That's But it. i think you have to worry mm. about your own self and keeping yourself well
2: yeah and so you can actually create this new life uh, that's on offer, like, it's not going to mm. happen straight away. Nothing happens quickly that's <laughs> of real value. Like, um, and nothing comes to us for free that's of real value hold that lightly, but but um, and free, I mean, not so much material as well as spirit. Like, you give yourself, you give yourself, you give your time, you give your, if you're able to, um, help people if you're able to give your experience away I mean it's sort of like a you know what seemed to be like the worst time in my life turns out to be the most valuable time yeah that make, make um, <laughs> so like true. now I can t- teach um, not only is like my recovery valuable to those who are newcomers or even a few years clean or my sponsees and so on but it's clear that that is just a natural course of how we do things like all of a sudden you know your greatest success becomes your greatest failure it's
1: like it's
2: so true isn't it yeah nature's nature's law doing its thing through us yeah
1: yeah and that's what i'd say to someone too if you're really going through the shit if you if you're really at rock bottom, eventually you will see that as mm. one of your greatest achievements mm. will be coming through that or what you learned from that. So, you know, to not feel so much shame around mm. perhaps what's happened or what you may have done previously, because eventually you're going to, if you might feel some shame with it now, eventually you're going to be so proud mm. of that, that mm. you're able to come through that time. Mm. In your recovery, Is what has been the hardest thing that you've actually had to endure and get through as a sober person?
2: I think um it's been <clears throat> um you know just doing the necessary changes uh, as far as like watching my 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 relationship with my wife disintegrate and have to you know change everything around that and then sort of break up the family home and make sure that the girls who were the best you know I can best put myself take myself out of the equation and just put them first. Um, Yeah. Losing friends. Yeah, just going through deep loss and doing those big changes. And I know more change is coming. We just go through those necessary changes. I know that my addiction wanted me to have nothing change. I just wanted to be in non-change. And that's just impossible. I can't. It's not going to happen that way. Life just doesn't. Is going to change, and so just being in the the necessary changes to grow. Yeah, I and mean, there's going to be more. Um, and I'm going to be really uncomfortable again. So no, no doubt. Um, you know, I lost my I lost my father a couple of years ago. I could see that coming, but there's not something. It's just a strange thing having your father pass away. <laughs> As a son, and um, Mm -hmm. thinking that it wasn't really that big a deal because I saw it coming, cared for him, and all the way to the end, and tag teamed it with my brother and my sisters. I got two other sisters because my father got remarried and had two daughters when he was sixty, and so they were really not really super close, but really lovely people, and so we had to tag team. We got to know each other better, so it brought us all together again, and. Then he's just gone, and then it's like, wow. And I was had a little wobble after that, Mm. yeah, emotionally. And I didn't know what it was all about, and I needed to reach deep.
1: Just things like did you use again, or did you just feel the wobble? Yeah,
2: no, no, I didn't. I I have thankfully i'm I've been able to remain clean, yeah, um, Yeah, to this point and sober, not having to. use anything i I mean i like a bit of coffee and that's about my only (laughs) a little bit of chocolate maybe yeah um, coffee in the morning that's it Um, yeah i really like that but that's
1: it it's Mm. amazing what you can pull through and Mm. you can actually do it you can enjoy the stuff um yeah yeah absolutely Mm. and knowing that it is possible and this is the great thing about this podcast is to Mm. Share that message with people that it is possible to do hard stuff. It's possible totally. to endure without mm. having to reach back into that old addiction, even though the addicted part of yeah. you wants you to, wants you there and says, this will make it better. Yeah. But it is possible to do these things. And as
2: soon as you start verbalizing it with someone and actually getting honest about what's going on, honesty is the key because uh, the disease just has to, sh- it just shrinks off into the wherever, the darkness, it just shrinks in size and doesn't have any influence anymore. As soon as we get honest about how we're going inside, yeah. Um, yeah. both with ourselves and someone someone else, that equation is very powerful. Okay, it can't. Yeah. then there's just this ironclad sort of, oh, okay, I'm here. I'm like, oh, I'm honestly, I feel, if you want to say, it, I feel fucked, I am honestly feel really fucked. I'm, I'm honestly really afraid. I'm honestly, oh, I'm just really, really, I'm honestly really feel like I want to use again. Uh, I honestly really want to, and I start to sort of, oh, well, I honestly see that this is happening. Can you help me? And you really bring that out. Yeah. it's yeah, it, it just all of a sudden, Poof, starts opening. Uh, that brought that that necessary width of experience starts to yeah play its 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 role in in evol- evolving beyond it. That's so, so cool.
1: That's so <laughs> amazing. Yes, uh, to just to say and to be honest, get honest hmm, and say, yeah, I'm hmm. struggling here. I don't feel good. I'm having it's a shocker today. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah,
2: I'm fine.
1: I'm fine. Yeah, that's exactly right. You've got to be honest. Mm. Oh, thank you so much, Tom. And my final question is Mm. if you could go back in time and speak to, you know, seven-year-old Tom, little Tom, Mm. Mm. what would you say to him? What advice would you give him?
2: Cry as much as you want. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Mm. Yeah, that's it. It's just come out of nowhere, that one, but that's exactly it.
1: Mm. Yeah. Cry as much I never as even you
2: thought want- of that. Yeah, but that's exactly, that's what I'd say. Tom, just, yeah, you get just cry as much as you want. Mm. As much
1: as you need to. Yeah. As much as you need to, yeah. 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 That's beautiful. Mm. Um, thank you so much, Tom yeah, Carroll. Yeah. I can't believe I've had you on the show. Like such <laughs> a legend and yeah. I just so appreciate your wisdom and, you know, you've lived, you've definitely lived it. You've lived all the stuff and mm. um, you're amazing and you're such an amazing role model really for, for what's possible in mm. life, not just in surfing but for mm. what's possible when you come through the other side and reconnect mm. back to yourself. You you really are amazing. So I really appreciate, I appreciate your time it. today. Thanks, Danny. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's an honour to come on and get the message out.
1: Yeah, mm. and, again, if anyone wants to join Tom in some of his amazing meditations, so 5.50am mm. mm. on Tuesday?
2: Thursday. Thursday. Saturday, three times a week. Uh, times actually, a week. next week, I don't know when the, when the um, podcast will go on, but uh, from July 4, I'll be in the US for about two weeks, so it's going to shift the time zones around. So I'll okay. just do it on their time, okay. whatever it might be.
1: Mm. Yeah, but people could connect to you via Instagram anyway. and, and- there's, there's in, I've saved a
2: few on my feed of the, the meditations that I give. So you can go on there and, and sort of see what they're like
1: yeah amazing and i can have a look that way i'll also put in the show notes all the links to your uh, website and right. all the rest of it so people thank can reach you. out to you if um you know they'd like to well, i'd love to send ash on one of your retreats it's done so yeah yeah amazing really um, nice yeah thanks again tom thank you very much jenny So many of us feel stuck and unsure of how to make positive changes in life. Journaling is a proven way of keeping yourself on track and creating lasting change. The How I Quit Alcohol Playbook will take you through 365 days of gratitude, daily affirmation and loads of techniques to help you stay on track and head towards a clearer future. Head to the show notes or iquitalcohol.com.au to grab yourself a copy today.